Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, pop culture, technology, because uh, in the end, just about everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with adweek.com. With me is uh, he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Uh, we've also got two of our top uh, TV experts in the house to talk about a lot of different updates. We've got Jason Lynch, staff writer who covers television industry for Adweek. Jason, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. And our web editor, uh, Anya Fernando, uh, who is a rabid tweeter about all things Bachelor and generally knowledgeable of much about TV. Thanks for joining us again, Anya. Thanks for having me. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to pack it in, uh, so stay stay with us here. We got the Oscar nominees are out. Uh, it's an interesting kind of artsy mix. Uh, we'll also look at how brands are reacting to Trump's first week in office. We'll catch you up on the year's most interesting Super Bowl ads that we know of so far. Uh, and as always, Tim is going to walk us through the week's ads worth watching. And then Jason is going to bring us up to speed on all the big news that came out of the TV world in the last week or two. Uh, and we'll get some commentary from Anya as well. But first, the news. So we are recording this on Donald Trump's first full week in office. Uh, as, as somewhat expected, I think brands and marketers have, have generally sat out a lot of discussion on this. They don't really feel like exacerbating any kind of uh, tension that the country's already having. That said, quite a few are jumping into the fray and really kind of leveraging this, uh, mostly overseas. Uh, we've got uh, some more direct than others, I would say, on the Mildly subtle front, although not really subtle, was a Lebanese nut brand uh, that ran a front page newspaper ad uh, that just said the world has gone nuts uh, was the headline. Uh, Tim, what did we learn about uh, the kind of the backstory on that ad? Well, it was done by a Beirut agency called uh, Republique, and the brand was Al Rafai. And, you know, essentially this uh, it was the morning uh, after Trump's inauguration. So this ad ran Saturday morning. And you know, I spoke to the agency about it, and they just said that essentially uh, this is how 
you know, most of their readers feel about the Trump uh, administration, and so they thought it was worth sort of the risk of uh, of angering him. I, I, I doubt he ever saw it, but it was sort of a, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a pretty direct slam on Trump, obviously, but it also had a bit of a comic element. You know, the headline is a pun referencing back to the product, so uh, it was a little goofy, but at the same time, it was a front-page ad placement um, you know, and I spoke to the agency, and they said, "Well, the brand was all for it because apparently this brand does some cheeky marketing pretty regularly." Um, uh, convincing the newspaper was a bit more uh, of, a, of a difficult thing, although, as we know, newspapers aren't exactly flush with uh, advertising these days. So I think they, uh, they 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 took the money and ran. Well, speaking of cheeky marketers, we also had Unilever's Pot Noodle, which is based in Wales. They do a lot of uh, pretty funny. Uh, and and bizarre kind of advertising in the UK, uh, and they ran a piece basically saying <laughs> that literally anyone can become president. Uh, it uh, starts off maybe a little a little subtle, and then quickly escalates uh, to make its point clear. Let, let's listen to a, a, a little bit of that one. These Bobby Dazzlers gave us the extra time to build up a following on social with some of my controversial comments. And off the back of that, they gave us my own reality show, training up young brickies. I'm not paying for this wall, you're paying for this wall, and you're fired. It's all a bit of a whirlwind after that. Yeah, so this one um, was by an agency in London called Lucky Generals. And as you, as you can hear from the, from the clip, it's this guy, Gary, who's a bricklayer in, in England, um, his, his life kind of mirrors Trump's and he ends up becoming the U.S. president. And so, you know, I mean, the, you know, this idea that, that uh, to so blatantly suggest that anyone can be U.S. president now, obviously another pretty direct slam on Trump. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's comic fodder now for, for a lot of brands. But like you say, David, you know, these brands overseas feel a lot more comfortable, uh, you know, ridiculing him than, than American brands do. Although, you know, it's also interesting to note that Pot Noodle is a Unilever brand, so presumably the Unilever uh, execs, you know, knew about this. And Unilever also owns Ben & Jerry's, which is one U.S. brand uh, that is willing to sort of criticize Trump a little bit. You know, on Inauguration Day, they tweeted a few things about uh, how, you know, if you're feeling down today, you should have some ice cream and that kind of thing. So, yeah, Unilever, as a, as a parent company, seems to be uh, one of the few uh, broadcasting a little bit of anti-Trump messaging so far. And uh, my favorite other overseas commentary, not so much a brand as a, a kind of fake uh, promotional video, uh, but a, a Dutch satirical news show uh, that's kind of the equivalent of a, uh, uh, you know, last week tonight uh, type of show, ran a, a really fantastic video uh, proposing the idea of America first, the Netherlands second, uh, and, and kind of delivering it in Trump's own style. What I love about this one is that uh, it's really easy to just take jabs at America and at Trump. Uh, this was a video where I thought they really spent more time making fun of themselves and of uh, kind of critiquing the Netherlands uh, than, than they did talking about Trump, although there's certainly a few good zingers on him in there. Let's listen to a little bit of that one. It is in English, thankfully. So uh, here you go. We speak Dutch. It's the best language in Europe. We've got all the best words. All the other languages failed. Danish, total disaster. German is not even a real language. It's fake. It's a fake language. We've got Pony Park Slagharen, which has got to be the best pony park in the world. It's true. They're the best ponies. They are. You can ride them. You can date them. You can grab him by the pony. It's fantastic. 
I think uh, the brand, the one U.S. brand that really got in the limelight here, uh, and not through their own kind of proactive efforts, but a lot of discussion about uh, Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, has has had a weird years-long grudge against Dippin' Dots, uh, the ice cream of the <laughs> uh, the ice cream of the future. Uh, have you guys had Dippin' Dots? Is it, I mean, is it pretty common? A long time ago, in a mall somewhere. In the future. <laughs> in the future, no, in the past. <laughs> Yeah, I also think if, if if you have kids, I mean, kids love Dippin' Dots, so um, that's certainly when we go to any type of sports game, um, Dippin' Dots or an amusement park, Dippin' Dots is usually what my kids gravitate to. It feels like the kind of thing you would get in Epcot. <laughs> it's like the ultimate Epcot <laughs> treat. Um, they So he had been tweeting off and on for like five years that Dippin' Dots is not the ice cream of the future, which is like a bold hot take. And then when they went, when they declared bankruptcy, he, like, he kind of rubbed salt in the wound by tweeting about it. And then. Yeah, uh, with like no context at all. Like he, it wasn't clear what his beef was. He was just like, this is not the ice cream of the future. And, and he so. Said it like three, he said it like three or four times. <laughs> and then, yeah, then he celebrated their bankruptcy. And then he did, he even tweeted a fourth thing after they, some, I think they ran out of Dippin' Dots at a yeah. Washington Nationals game, so he was all upset about that also. Yeah, and so the brand kind of wrote this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, somewhat sincere uh, note to him publicly, basically saying, hey, we'd like to be friends. Um, they, they did kind of point out, we know how a shortage of Dippin' Dots can feel like a national emergency, which was a nice kind of ding on the, on the priorities of the administration. Not that this has been something that Spicer's been pushing since he's uh, come into this role, but, um, but, uh, yeah, the, it sparked an interesting back and forth and it ended up with, uh, him basically saying that he would work with them, I guess, on having an event that they would cater that, uh, benefits veterans. Um, so something positive could come out of it. So it was nice to see one, one bit of, uh, interestingness. Uh, this is a, a bit off topic in terms of how brands are responding, but while we were uh, finishing up just kind of discussion of Trump's first week, Jason, you wrote a really interesting piece about Trump's reputation among TV critics. You, you've been at the Television Critics Association uh, event for the last uh, week or two, uh, and so I'm sure you guys have been talking about it, but it sounds like he had quite a reputation for inflating the ratings of Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, so tell, uh, tell us a little about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, this... this uh, uh, television critics press tour that I go to twice a year. Um, basically, every day there are dozens of panels where uh, each network takes a separate day and they bring out the the talent and the producers behind their new shows for the next few months to talk about the show. Uh, two years ago, uh, we had Donald Trump on the stage for what was the last season of Celebrity Apprentice that he hosted. And throughout the entire decade-long run of uh, Celebrity Apprentice and Apprentice before it, Trump was known for, uh, you know, outright lying about the ratings for his show. Um, you know, he's obsessed with ratings. He's obsessed with with crowd size, as we've kind of seen throughout the, um, you know, throughout the uh, the election. Uh, and he would either call up reporters, TV reporters himself, or dispatch various publicists or other staffers to call up and insist that the ratings for his show that he was had the number one show on TV, even if. He was as low as, you know, 72nd. And he tried to do this again when he was on stage talking to about 200 TV critics and reporters two years ago, claiming he had the number one show on TV. Uh, that season, it finished 41st place in the uh, 18 to 49 demo and 67th place in total viewers. 
so you know being you know a group of critics who have been you know kind of locked up in a in a in a hotel ballroom for several weeks um you know we started pushing back and saying well no you're actually not number one not only you're not number one overall you're not, not even number one on your night uh and you're not even number one in your time slot and uh, so finally you know even at when we kind of confronted him with enough facts where most people would say yes you're right I, you know i, I you know th- th- this is a mistake he just said that's what i was told and um, you know, still kind of being as defiant to the end. And that panel has been, you know, in my mind for a couple of years. I was thinking of again at press tour, and then over this weekend when um, he and and Sean Spicer were uh, were lying about the crowd size, saying it was the largest you know group who had ever watched an inauguration in history. Uh, you know, it claims it's clearly disputed by photos and by other data. Uh, I you know was flashing back to that. And, you know, this is something that he has been doing, you know, for ratings for 10 years, you know, it's one thing to, to lie about, uh, you know, facts when, you know, you're, you're hosting a show where you've got to kind of send Lorenzo Lamas packing. It's another thing to be doing it as a leader of the free world, but this has been Trump's MO for a while. And as he told us on that, that, uh, that panel, you know, this is who I am. I'm not changing. So, um, you know, I think that the, the first, not even first full week of his presidency shows us that we are in um, for a, bu- a, a very bumpy ride when it comes to, you know, what his team is referring to alternative facts. So these were, these were alternative ratings. Presumably. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and again, you know, listen, uh, networks every day try to spin the ratings in their favor and you'll see people slicing and dicing. Oh, well, we were number one among, you know, adults 35 to 36 who watched, you know, with one kid. It's one thing to do that. Everybody knows that it's one thing to out and out lie and say that you're number one when you're, you know, number 67. I always think of the uh, there's a pretty obscure Tom Selleck movie called Mr. Baseball where he's a pro player who goes to Japan and I it's not a good movie but I, I remember there's one great line where they're basically threatening to kick him off the team because he's no he's getting too old and he says uh, hey I'll have you know that I led the league in ninth inning triples last season <laughs> <laughs> I always think about that when we get creative on how we slice up these numbers um, well, thank you for that one, Jason. That was a really interesting read. I definitely encourage everyone to check it out um, because uh, those ratings continue to be uh, a point of discussion. This morning, uh, Spicer is still having battles with, uh, you know, with media reporters on the numbers of ratings and whether live streams are included. Part of you just wants to say, "Who cares?" But then it's also. Well, well- fascinating yeah i mean it's, it's also it's very frustrating because you know it goes to this you know digital digital views do not equal linear ratings and he's trying to equate the two and you know basically a digital view is if you watch something for three seconds it's counted as a view where tv ratings are the average number of people who watched each minute so it's not apples to apples uh and you know he's he's trying to make it sound like it is and it's not yeah well I'm- it's just so sad to me that this is what he's obsessed about like this is what he's focusing on in his first week in office, that he's still obsessed. Yeah, and, and it really does. I don't think it'll go away. I think this is a conversation we're going to see, uh, if not daily, at least weekly for the next few years. Uh, you know, I think ratings, uh, for better or worse, for the industry, we're going to see that ratings are going to be a, a national point of political discussion, uh, as they were in the last few months of the election. Our TV Newser blog, to give it a quick shout-out, as uh, an excellent resource for ratings information. Uh, our traffic to that site has has exploded in the last few months. Uh, the number of people referencing that site, you know, this is an industry blog that's tremendously respected uh, among kind of a niche audience. But right now it has become a mainstream source of information because suddenly these these ratings numbers really matter uh, to a lot more people than did before. So I uh, definitely encourage everyone to check out TV, TV Newser, uh, our, our TV blog. Um, 
Wanted to move on to Super Bowl updates. Not a lot of huge stuff this week. Uh, just kind of everything is – the fire hose is just about to turn on of uh, getting all those Super Bowl ads. Uh, but uh, we did get an interesting update on what Snickers is going to be doing. Snickers, obviously, uh, with the Brady Bunch ad, which I would say is one of the best Super Bowl ads of all time. Uh, they are always an interesting one to watch for. Their, their kickoff spot for the You're Not You When You're Hungry, I think, is still one of the most memorable Super Bowl spots. Uh, but, Tim, tell us what they have in plan uh, for this year. Right. So as you mentioned, uh, you know, Snickers is really one of the brands that, that everyone looks to every year. Uh, this will be their third straight uh, Super Bowl and, and I think their sixth um, Super Bowl ad ever. You, you mentioned the 2010 spot with Betty White uh, was very, you know, very, very popular. The last couple of years they had the Danny Trejo and uh, last year they had Willem Dafoe playing Marilyn Monroe. So, you know, we always look forward to what they're doing. And uh, just this morning, as we record this on Wednesday, um, they meant they told us that they're going to be doing the first ever uh, live Super Bowl commercial. So it'll be performed and broadcast live at the uh, in an ad slot at the very beginning of the third quarter. I believe it'll be the, the first ad of the third quarter. And it's got Adam Driver in it. Um, we don't know too much about what the plot's going to be. Uh, they released a few teasers this morning showing... Uh, like auditions for the commercial and it's just got a cutout of Adam uh, which is kind of amusing and then they they are auditioning a horse and a cowboy so there seems to be some kind of western theme going on Uh, but it's interesting because there's been a few now uh, hints that we're going to have real-time sort of live stuff going on Uh, Hyundai last week uh, their big news last week around the Super Bowl was that they were going to actually be re- uh, recording their ad during the game, uh, and they're going to broadcast a spot uh, right after the final whistle um, that'll feature footage that, um, that's been taken during the game. So, you know, a lot of brands have done real-time marketing on Twitter, of course, during the Super Bowl, famously Oreo with their Dunk in the Dark tweet a couple years back. Um, you know, but re- real-time marketing seems to be now coming to you know, the TV spots themselves. So it should be really interesting um, what Snickers is doing. And also, uh, Snickers is doing a 36-hour live stream from next Thursday at noon until Friday night at midnight, um, kind of from the set of this commercial where they'll be um, shooting the live one uh, on, on Sunday the 5th of February. So plenty to watch for, uh, plenty of content coming from Snickers. Uh, you know, it's got this sort of Old Spice vibe to it. Remember when they did the the response videos that Wyden and Kennedy did for Old Spice. This kind of reminds me of that, and it should be really interesting to see. Um, 36 hours of content from Snickers should be kind of fun to, to check out. Well, hopefully you'll get a shout-out from them like you did with uh, from Old Spice. <laughs> right, we'll see. Um, the uh, you Definitely encourage everyone to go to uh, Adweek's Super Bowl ad tracker. If you just Google that, you will find the 2017 Roundup. Uh, one of our staff writers, Sammy Main, keeps it up to date every day, and we're going to be having many more updates coming in. Uh, so definitely check out the Super Bowl ad tracker. Uh, and you can find full ads already for Skittles, uh, Lexus, TurboTax, and probably by the time uh, this podcast goes live, uh, even more, uh, because we've, I think, already gotten it's uh, it's still the morning, and we've already gotten four or five Super Bowl updates already. It, we, it will continue. Uh, and I'm sure I'll mention this at the end of the show, but next week is our Super Bowl issue in print, and we're going to have just tons of coverage uh, next week and then, of course, in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. So, uh, And next week's podcast is focused on the Super Bowl, of course, so uh, lots more to come. I wanted to talk real quickly about the Oscars. I'm not a, a personally a huge Oscars guy, so I'm going to kind of lean on you. I, I maybe it's because I'm a parent uh, with two kids or whatever. I just I don't get out very often to see movies. Um, 
But uh, following up on the Golden Globes uh, and then to hear the Oscar nominations, which were somewhat similar, uh, it, it was interesting to see uh, who got the, the most recognition. La La Land uh, got 14 nominations, uh, which puts it on par with the two record holders, which are Titanic and All About Eve. Uh, ha- I, I should have asked this in advance, but has anyone seen La La Land yet? I saw it twice. Holy cow. Actually. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. And, and that's actually the only Oscar uh, nominee that I have seen. Okay, so Jason, tell tell us. Uh, I'll get definitely get to Tim in a second, but uh, there's been a lot of discussion the last few days about whether La La Land is a little too self obsessed, and whether this is a sign that Hollywood is just a little too into itself uh, and not really reflective of kind of uh, I don't know the 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 broader audience. What what do you think? Uh, I think that there is some merit to that. I mean, I think I think La La Land is a great film. Um, you know, is it going to be one of those films that a decade from now we look back and say, wow, was that really a best picture, you know, worthy show or a film? And, you know, that, that might be the case. Um, I think Hollywood does, you know, because it is about Hollywood, um, it's not a surprise that it's a a film that Hollywood is really gravitated towards praising. Uh, I, that said, I do think that it is a great film, and I think in a crop of uh, with few movies that are big crowd pleasers, that's going to be one of the few films that people are actually even going to be aware of going into this year's Oscars. Tim, how did you end up seeing it twice? Well, you know, I saw it uh, actually um, the night I was leaving Las Vegas when I was out at CES. Uh, I had a little time to kill, so... My, my flight was delayed, so I ended up at the movie theater, and then I got back, and uh, my wife and some some of our friends wanted to see it, so I tagged along to that as well. Um, I thought it was great. I mean, it was, it's was it been described as sort of a neo-musical, and uh, Damien Chazelle, who's the director, was, you know, really obsessed um, with old-school Hollywood musicals, you know, going back to Fred Astaire and then Gene Kelly and all that all that stuff, you know, wonderful movies. Um, you know, I took a class in college on the Hollywood musical, and it was... You know, it was really nice to see, uh, you know, a lot of the callbacks to some of that old stuff. And I think it's it's the kind of film that's really, you know, people had never seen a movie like this before. I think a lot of people who have seen it just it feels really fresh and interesting. And and uh, you know, I thought you know, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone did really well. I know there's been some criticism that maybe Chazelle could have hired a proper jazz guy to play the lead. Um, but you know, I think a lot of the you can chalk a lot of the success up to, you know, the fact that people love Ryan Gosling so much. And you know, Emma Stone, I think really puts in a pretty amazing performance too and it is very self-referential it is about Hollywood it is about acting and actors and and but it's got uh, you know a very a, a very sweet storyline that, that's quite magical at, in, at times and so you know I, it'll be interesting to see uh, I think Moonlight's got a pretty interesting sh- you know it's also a pretty interesting movie it's got a good shot at uh, best picture um, I guess we'll have to see I just want to give a shout out to Viggo Mortensen who is nominated for Captain Fantastic. And I think it's um, kind of an underappreciated movie. And that was one surprise for the nominations. I feel like everything else was sort of the usual suspects. Um, but I think everyone should go see Captain Fantastic. Yeah, I haven't even thought about Vigo since uh, History of Violence, I think. Um, He's so good. Yeah, that's a solid recommendation. The The one thing I was going to say about the musicals is that I, I would, while I did not love Hail Caesar, I would happily watch Hail Caesar again just for the musical scene, uh, the dance the dance number uh, with the sailors, because you think that it's going to be a gag, and it is a legit full-on dance number. And I just remember uh, watching that just being blown away. I was like, this is 
awesome. I mean, this is stupid, but it's awesome. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I was I was glad to see that that I doubt that inspired La La Land, of course. But uh, but interesting that there is a, certainly a trend there. There's no real blockbusters this year uh, in terms of Oscar nominees. Jason, do you think that's going to hurt the ratings for the Oscars telecast? Uh, it's not going to help. I mean, historically, you've seen that the the higher rated Oscar telecasts come during years where huge films are nominated uh, and end up winning. The Titanic year, um, the the year the, the third Lord of the Rings film won. Um, those had big ratings, and uh, you know it's interesting that about a decade ago, the whole reason that the Academy expanded the the number of Best Picture nominees from five to potentially as many as ten was the year that The Dark Knight didn't get nominated. And they thought, okay, well, you know, at least this way we can get some bigger, bigger films in. But you look, you've got nine and there's still no Deadpool, which people were hoping made it in. And the other kind of top grossing films of the year, you know, Rogue One, I think, got some uh, some technical awards. Finding Dory didn't even get an animation. uh, Same with Zootopia. So kind of the most popular films of the year are not really represented in this lineup. So it's not going to help. The last year's Oscars had the smallest 18 to 49 audience in 20 years. I think this year will do a bit better, but um, it's not going to be a record breaker by any means. Mm. All right. Well, it is uh, that was a big parcel of news, and, man, we still have so much more. So I encourage everyone to go to adweek.com uh, because there is a lot more happening in the marketing world and TV and media than we have time to go over here. But definitely check out adweek.com for uh, lots more news. But now we're going to move on to ads worth watching. Tim, tell us what you got this week. All right. Well, this week we have a super viral uh, horror movie prank video by ThinkMoto, which is uh, this agency. It's a viral marketing agency, and they've they became famous actually for doing these kinds of videos. Uh, they have, they've really found a niche in these horror pranks. Um, if you flash back to 2013, they did that famous uh, telekinetic coffee shop surprise video, which was um, it, it was uh, basically a. a, a a video where a woman in a coffee shop um, seemed to be moving furniture around with her mind, and she was even moving people. And it, you know, the, the ThinkMoto had kind of rigged the entire set to kind of, you know, and they they had cameras rolling and and you know, captured people's reactions to this. So it kind of became a, a bit of a, a theme for ThinkMoto, and they haven't done too many of these lately. I would I would say this is the first you know big one they've done in the last couple of years actually. Um, but it just went off the charts, and it's it's a new video for uh, a new horror movie called Rings, which is the latest movie in the in the Ring franchise, and it, it's uh, it got 200 million views in the first 24 hours, which is kind of you know numbers that I don't think I've I've ever seen before for a commercial uh, on Facebook, and essentially it takes place you know if you know the Ring movies, uh, the people in in the movie I guess I haven't seen any of them actually, but apparently uh, you if you watch some sort of you're watching television and you see some creepy girl and suddenly you're marked for death or something like this. So Tim, essentially, Tim, oh, chick, come on, man. Like how, David, David, you could, you could probably fill you, me in you on, find, on exactly what these, you find an unmarked cassette in a cabin. <laughs> and of course you put okay. it in your VHS player, which we all have. And, uh, you watch a weird, creepy video and someone says, before you die, you see the ringer. I think you get a phone call. And then eventually, uh, uh you uh, see a ring and a girl climbs out of the TV soaking wet and murders you. Oh, that okay. Something to do with seven days, also, right? Yeah, yeah. That's how long it takes. 
within seven. Okay, so that's good to know <laughs> that background. This ad makes so much more sense now. Um, okay, like I feel like the prank was really well done, but is that going to make people see the movie? Because I'm not going to see it. Like that did not make me want to go see that movie. Yeah. Well, what happens is it takes place in a TV store, and um, they've they've rigged one of the TVs to to basically open up, and the the actual girl from the movie, the the contortionist stunt actress who plays this creepy dead girl, uh, kind of cr- crawls out and surprises the customers while they're being explained uh, by the by the sales manager. Uh, the sort of the benefits of the television or whatever and maybe we could listen to a bit of it I know there's not much to listen to but it's just funny to hear the screams when they when, <laughs> when, when, so let's listen to just one brief clip what do you think about the uh, the picture quality looks like she's gonna jump out she looks like she's gonna jump out more like definition she's, like she's right there like she's right there yeah I mean, why I'm just gonna touch it oh, wow. oh, chill. oh my god oh my god so obviously they had i mean some of these reactions were just to me they were sort of laugh out loud funny people just terrified running for their lives and uh, i spoke to james personally who was one of the think moto co-founders and you know his his whole point was you know uh, movie trailers, horror movie trailers, you know, they might be frightening, but they're still kind of like unre- unreal in a way. And, and having this, you know, having, having a stunt like this uh, was just, you know, it takes it to a new level. It really, you know, it's something that's really compelling in a way that, you know, traditional uh, horror movie trailers aren't. People just love seeing other people get scared. And uh, I mean, it's now, I think it's up to 256 million views in less than 48 hours. And I mean, that, those numbers are unbelievable. That's more than twice the viewership of the Super Bowl. So uh, I think it's Think Moto's biggest success yet. I mean, will it get people to the movie? I don't know. It, it's, it certainly makes people aware that there's a new Rings movie coming out. And, and I feel like this follows up kind of both uh, some some classic ring-related marketing. They actually had the girl from the ring uh, pitch an opening pitch in a Japanese, uh, I think it was a Japanese baseball game. Like, she came out in full, and then I think she does some telekinesis while she's out there. I mean, they've done some really fun stuff, so this is a nice continuation of that. Uh, and we've also seen a few similar stunts where I believe, like, the walls of an elevator kind of open or no like a girl would climb out of the elevator and a, she'd be like a ghost and so the power would flicker and then suddenly there was this ghost right next to you which always made me really worried that they were just going to start punching you know this poor actor that's <laughs> pretending to be a ghost but maybe it was staged <laughs> you know um all right well uh in the more traditional vein of of advertising uh what do you have for us well i just wanted to briefly mention the new uh barbie campaign by bbdo san francisco you know barbie is this Obviously, a uh, classic Mattel doll, 50-year-old 50, 50 brand. Uh, kind of became, for many years, you know, a bit of a, a poster child for, um, you know, unrealistic body type. And, uh, you know, in the last two or three years, BBDO has really tried to help uh, Mattel kind of turn that image around. And they're really focused on um, Barbie's role in helping girls, you know, imagine the future and, and imaginative play and the power of that. And uh, the new campaign, which uh, broke over the weekend during the NFL games, was uh, about dads playing Barbie with their with their girls. Uh, and it was a really cute campaign. I think there was a, a, a there's a 90 second sort of anthem film on YouTube. Uh, some 30 cutdowns, I think, played on various NFL games uh, or the two that aired over the weekend. And you know, it just shows again the 
the uh, evolution of the Barbie brand. So I guess let's listen to a clip from one of them, if we can, just for a few seconds. Sundays are always football. And now that gets interrupted with a little uh, Barbie time. I'm here to see the doctor. She'll see you in a minute. Okay, I'll wait here. Love playing Barbie, but I only play with Ken. Ken only. Yeah, so as you can, as you heard from the clip, you know, it's uh, these dads kind of playing in, in high-pitched voices with their girls, and it's a bit of a theme lately. Pantene did this campaign last year uh, where NFL dads uh, did their daughter's hair, and there's definitely an appetite for this sort of father-daughter bonding messaging going on uh, in, in a lot of advertising lately, and, you know, BBDO's done a really nice job uh, with the Barbie brand overall, and, and, you know, this campaign really helps you know, again, modernize her image and uh, gets kind of dads I- into the mix, which is, you know, a, a bit of a, you know, upending kind of gender uh, stereotypes. So, you know, nice job for them. I think it's it's going to help uh, Barbie, which has already seen a sales rebound, you know, um, the last couple of years. They were, the sales were really down for a while. And, and since this sort of brand reinvention, they've done well. And I think this new campaign uh, will help them too. I thought it was really sweet. And I especially love that all of the Barbies in the ad, it was like, this is the doctor Barbie. This is the astronaut Barbie. Like it's all about their careers and little girls can be anything they want to be. And I think it was really well done. My, my daughter is a very intense feminist, uh, came into it naturally mm-hmm. uh, and always has been. And she actually picked out a Barbie the other day for a, a birthday gift for a friend. Uh, it was a superhero Barbie and not just like a traditional Barbie wearing a cape, but like an actual looked like kind of a modern Catwoman, Supergirl kind of a look. And so I was really impressed just from a product standpoint of how they've kind of evolved uh, to just, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't about fashion. It was about it was clearly a, a character design to kind of show strength and power, but also approachability. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating brand to see how they've evolved. Well, it is time for our big discussion of the week, and so uh, we're going to be talking about all things television this week, so let's get to it. So, Jason just got back from, Lord, how long were you out there, Jason? 14 long days. Holy cow. So this was the Television Critics Association, uh, where are we, Winter Press Tour? Winter Uh, Press Tour. So they do this twice a year. It is a marathon of sessions, as you mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, And so we want to talk about a lot of the big shows. People are thinking about a lot of the big networks. Uh, But first, I'm just curious, you know, getting all these critics together in the same place and industry writers, what were some of kind of the big picture topics when you're actually just chatting, you know, over drinks or whatever? What, What were people talking about? You know, it's interesting because uh, usually uh, both of the summer and the winter tours, there are these kind of overarching themes, and there weren't as many this year, aside from the question that was asked of every network and almost every show, you know, how uh, how are you changing your approach to making TV, you know, now that we have President Trump, um, which there wasn't really an answer to that. Um, but, you know, there certainly were, were a number of shows that were conceived um, last year. And, you know, the, I think at the time that the networks and the creators didn't didn't fathom that they would be kind of viewed, um, you know, under a Trump presidency. So a lot of shows uh, coming in mid-season, uh, you're going to view through, through a completely different light. Uh, I think the most notable one is Handmaid's Tale, which is uh, Hulu's upcoming series that's based on um, Margaret Atwood's dystopian novel um, from 1985 about a you know, government 
that's overthrown and, you know, women are kind of enslaved. And, uh, you know, you just you watch that now, um, you know, especially given kind of how things have unfolded the last few days. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, frighteningly of the moment. So I, I feel like uh, the the one show that's really captured imaginations uh, and in, in, in a well surprised me at least was NBC's This Is Us, uh, which has now been renewed for two more seasons. Right, Jason? Uh, yeah, absolutely. This was the, this was uh, this has been the big hit of this broadcast season, and uh, NBC announced uh, literally. I think they broke the they broke the the news to the cast and the creators five minutes before the panel started that they were picking it up not just for one season, which seemed like a no brainer, but two seasons, which is a really rare uh, which is a really rare move for a first year series and um, each each of those seasons I think is going to be 18 episodes long which is the length of the first season and it has been you know I think it's really important for broadcast to have a show like this because it proves a that hits are still possible on broadcast TV and B you can still make you can still attract people to a show without it being based on um, what everybody refers to as existing IP, intellectual property. It's not based on a known brand. It wasn't based on a big A-list star. It was kind of an organic, you know, became an organic hit. And, uh, you know, it's something that broadcasters really needs. Anya, are you watching it? I am watching it, yeah. Tell, I'm, tell me about I'm the, the appeal of it. I don't know. I think, um, well, I don't want to do any spoilers, but I feel like people know that it takes place in two different um, eras, basically, in the 70s and 80s and in the present. And I think the chemistry of the cast, the story, um, it's feel good, but it's not too sappy. Like, it kind of has a little bit of everything for everyone. And, yeah, I think people really need that right now. So someone I was talking to during the Golden Globes said uh, it, every episode feels engineered to make you cry. Um, but, but that you're, <laughs> yeah. you're okay with it. Is, is that accurate? I mean, is it that emotional? Yeah, I would say that. Mm -hmm. And the cliffhangers, too. What's also interesting about this show's success is that NBC had another family drama that seemed engineered to make people cry, and that was called Parenthood. And that was always, you know, that always kind of was maybe a solid double for the network. Um, and they kind of assumed that This Is Us's ratings would be in a similar area, and this has just ended up being, uh, you know, bigger than anyone could have imagined. Yeah, I remember Parenthood uh, was always in danger of being canceled, wasn't it, every season? Yeah. Yes, it, it was. And then by the end, I think the ratings overall had dropped, especially at NBC, um, enough that it was actually one of the you know better performing shows. Um, the network has, Bob Greenblatt has kind of rebuilt the network up um, considerably in those years since Parenthood um, was off the air. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, this, this is the, the, the biggest new show of the season. And you, you wrote a, a really interesting piece about how Fox passed on this idea. Uh, yeah, so what was interesting, and I know you guys talked about this um, on a previous podcast, but several of the broadcast networks opted not to do exec sessions for the first time, which was a rarity. So NBC didn't do an exec session, and this would have been a perfect time for NBC president Bob Greenblatt to do a victory lap and talk about This Is Us. Instead, Fox, which did an exec session, um, was able to kind of 
claim victory for the show because Fox Studio um, is the one that produces This Is Us. So they were able to talk about how, you know, they, Fox considered it first and they realized that the, the best place for this show, especially last fall, was NBC. And so they kind of allowed, you know, they allowed This Is Us to go to NBC instead of Fox, you know, where it's become a huge hit. But ultimately, Fox will make more money on the show than NBC will because Fox will own the show. So whenever it's sold to Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, um, Fox is the one that's going to make that money, not NBC. Man, strange bedfellows. Um, another bit of fun news to come out of it uh, from out of TCA was that Will and Grace is coming back. Uh, Jason, I have one question. Why is Will and Grace coming back? <laughs> uh, well, if you're a Will and Grace fan, you're very excited. If you're not, you know, you're kind of scratching your head. That deal, uh, I found out, was literally uh, closed the night before the, uh, the NBC's TCA day. So um, it was really, you know, they, were, they closed it in time so they could make the announcement. But what had happened was... Um, when the cast had reunited last September, if you remember, they did a, uh, a, a, a video supporting Hillary Clinton for president that kind of went viral. And it was, the, it was the, the, the core four cast members, the creators came back, and they kind of all did this on their own. NBC wasn't really involved. And because that uh, went so well, NBC started immediately talking to the creators about, well, what can we do? You know, how, how can we make this work? So it's coming back as a 10-episode limited series uh, next season, and the entire cast is coming back, the creators are coming back, the, uh, James Burroughs, who directed every episode of the original series during its run, is coming back. And, you know, it's interesting. We've seen you know, that Prison Break's going to do a limited series revival uh, in a couple months. We saw this with X-Files last year. And there has been this shift to war. And, and we've moved away from kind of TV reunions. Maybe there'd be a reunion movie or just a reunion special 20 years after a show ended. And now uh, audiences really have this interest in these kind of limited series revivals. Um, you know, not just one night, but multiple episodes featuring the cast. It made me think of the Gilmore Girls revival, too. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah, that's another one. And, you know, even something like Fuller House, which is a, a different iteration of that. But still, I mean, it's 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 this cast that that a group of people loved two decades ago. And now it's coming back. Well, and it's been interesting that several of the, the cast are kind of uh, still super relevant. Megan Mullally, uh, you know, thanks to just kind of her symbiosis with her, her husband, Nick Offerman. Those two seem to pop up everywhere. Uh, she's remained kind of very visible. Eric McCormick, uh, who had kind of dropped off the radar, at least to me, uh, is now back in, in uh, Travelers, which sounds like it's a hit uh, for Netflix. Uh, so, you know, there's a little more star power, I think, going into this than, than it might have if they had done this two years ago. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's it, NBC actually tried to do this. Uh, I think it was a year ago with Heroes. They tried to bring Heroes back, and they couldn't get the full cast back. And they had a couple people and some new heroes, and it didn't work. And uh, Bob Greenblatt told me, you know, really the key to this is you have to have everybody come back. Audiences don't want to see some of the original cast; they want to see the whole original cast. So if it's a hit, um, it's going to be for that reason. So let's uh, let's talk about a few of the hot networks uh, that everyone's always kind of thinking about these days. HBO is in this kind of uh, dead zone in between Game of Thrones and Westworld, and then now they're kind of in a bit of a lull. Uh, are Young Pope and Big Little Lies, are these going to be enough to keep people tuning in to HBO? Or, and what's the expectation on those shows? 
Well, I would say Young Pope, which Young Pope, uh, a couple episodes have aired, so people have probably seen a little bit of that. Um, that, to me, is nowhere near as entertaining as those memes that popped up um, a week or two ago would make you believe. Um, for me, you know, the, it's, it's a, a Jude Law plays the first American pope, and, you know, he's not young. I guess he's young when compared to, you know, the ages of the other popes. Um, for me, it was just very frustrating. Uh, you know, it looks beautiful. Uh, I just found it a bit impenetrable. Uh, you don't really, you, you don't learn enough about what's going on with Jude, and I just, I don't think it's something I'll continue beyond the couple episodes I watch, but I do love Big Little Lies, which is a, a miniseries that's going to air next month. Um, it's based on uh, Leanne Moriarty's bestseller about these three well-to-do first-grade moms, and there's a murder also as well. Uh, Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman star in it, and uh, I've seen, I think, the first two episodes. I thought that was spectacular. I think that's going to be something you're going to be hearing about you know, c- come awards time. And then uh, they also have a, um, a Bernie Madoff movie starring Robert De Niro called The Wizard of Lies, which is based on a novel of the same name. That's going to be coming in May, and they're putting that in the slot that they put all of the, the TV movies that they think are going to be huge award winners. Uh, Behind the Candelabra also got the same slot uh, a couple Mays ago. So they've got that. They also have the final season of Girls um, starting next month. Uh, there will be more Veep in Silicon Valley later this spring. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm later this year. We don't know when, but that'll finally be back. And then, um, as David pointed out, Game of Thrones is not going to come back until this summer for production issues, push that back a little bit. And we're not going to see Westworld until 2018. So the wait for those is going to be a little longer. But uh, for the most part, I think HBO is in good shape, um, even without those shows. Yeah, I agree with Jason. Uh, My husband and I tried to watch The Young Pope, and just that first episode was just like impenetrable. That's the word. Like, you just don't know what's happening. The tone is all over the place. And yeah, you end up being frustrated by the end of it. At least I was. I I find Um, that I feel like The Young Pope is the kind of show that's better to not watch and to just hear uh, little excerpts (laughs) of what people describe. Like he climbs out from under a pile of babies and releases a kangaroo on the ground. So I'm just like, you know, I don't want to watch because my mental image of all this is better. Exactly. Uh, It it, it sounds far more entertaining than it actually is. Yeah. He he gets dressed to uh, I'm sexy and I know it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather just in in my mind, the young pope is the is the show that the memes uh, made you <laughs> made you long for. Um. <laughs> I am excited about Big Little Lies, though. I read the book and I loved it, and I think that looks great. And I love that um, Reese Witherspoon is just adapting all of these books. It's awesome. Yeah, she also she and Nicole Kidman uh, both are executive producing that one as uh, as well as starring in it, and it's it's a great great material for both of them. So let's talk about FX in terms of uh, networks that feel like they're going to have a bit of a lull before some of their favorites come back. Uh, A lot of stuff's been pushed to 2018. What can we expect from FX in 2017, Jason? Uh, yeah, so even though uh, Atlanta, unfortunately, won't come back until 2018, in part because Donald Glover is going to go play Lando Calrissian in the young Han Solo movie that's going to be filming shortly, uh, American Crime Story won't have um, its second season, which will revolve around Hurricane Katrina, also till 2018, in part for production um, issues. You can only film in... Um, in New Orleans during certain times of years, because uh, certain times of the year because of hurricanes, uh, but they're also uh, FX does have a lot of great uh, new shows coming this spring. Um, my two favorite are um, Feud. Um, 
which is Ryan Murphy's latest anthology sees, uh, series. This one's going to focus on kind of legendary battles. Um, I don't know if they'll be Hollywood specific, uh, although this first one is. It takes place uh, in 1962 as Betty Davis and Joan Crawford are filming uh, Whatever Happened to Baby, Baby Jane. Um, and Jessica Lange plays Joan Crawford and Susan Sarandon plays Betty Davis. I've seen the first two episodes and they are phenomenal. This is something that um, it's, the only question at this point is whether uh, Susan Sarandon or Jessica Lange is going to win the Emmy because it's definitely going to be one of them. Um, that's terrific. Also, um, on the other end of the spectrum, we have Legion, which is FX's first uh, superhero series. Um, this is a, a Marvel series. Uh, Noah Hawley, who oversees Fargo, is over is doing this one, and uh, it stars Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. And this one, uh, I've been describing it to people using comparing it to that Reese, old Reese's uh, peanut butter cup commercial. You know, you got chocolate in your peanut butter like this is like oh you got fx in my marvel no you got your marvel in my fx and it, it's this kind of perfect <laughs> blend of both of those brands and uh, and it's it's a lot of fun i'm very excited to see what fx does with a marvel property although i know nothing about legion but uh you know that's a network i i've i've gotten as i think a lot of people have i've gotten pretty burnt out on a lot of the uh the DC work that's coming out of uh, CW and the other networks and uh, and the the Marvel shows on Netflix have just gotten a little too repetitively gritty, I guess is a way to to say it. So I'm I'm ready for something different. And l yeah. Lord knows the uh, that that DC one. Uh, why do I always forget the name? Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow. That it's was that not, forgettable. That was not not what I was waiting for. Uh, the, 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 the last thing I'll say about FX is not even FX can hit it out of the park all the time, even though it seems like that's pretty much what they do. Um, the, their show Taboo that's airing right now um, is, is pretty blessed. So I would advise you to skip that one, but uh, definitely watch Legion and Feud. Uh, well, I can't have a good uh, television conversation with Anya in the room without asking, how is The Bachelor this season? Yes, my favorite subject. <laughs> the Bachelor is great this season. Um, Nick Vile is The Bachelor, and he his whole thing is that he's already been on the show like three times, and he's been rejected over and over again, and he just keeps coming back. Um, and it's kind of different this time because people have seen him um, when he was on The Bachelorette for two seasons, so a lot of people already have these judgments about him. Uh, I think he's, he's done pretty well. The show itself is just ridiculous as usual. Um, it feels a little more sexually explicit this season. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's the contestants or if it's him or if it's the producers just trying to create some more drama. Um, but I know that's um, riled a few people up. But it's keeping up the drama. It's a great distraction from what's going on in the world. And so I highly recommend it as a guilty pleasure. If you, if you look at Twitter on the night that, is it one night a week or is it multiple? It feels like it's every time I log on Twitter at night. <laughs> it's two hours on Monday night. Oh, jeez. Um, but yeah, if you happen to wade into Twitter on a Bachelor night, it is an ocean of tweets about uh, about this one show on a level that I don't see. Uh, you know, this is the same audience I, I follow every other day of the week, and I never see a show get this kind of social traction. Jason, how is it doing actual rating-wise? Is it just one of those where the fan base is somewhat small but super passionate, or is it a, is it still a hit? Uh, I think it's been, um, you know, it, it, it dipped about 10 years ago, and then they really started to steer more into the soap opera of it all and, you know, really kind of play up the elements that have lent itself to, um, to this type of social media engagement that we've had. So I think that, you know, the ratings have been fairly steady over the last few seasons. It does, you know, incredibly well, I think, for, for ABC, which is a network that, um, 
uh, you know, doesn't have many shows that are stable right now, so this is something that, that's great for them. Um, so they have found, you know, you consider this, this franchise is, it's been around for a really, really long time, and, uh, and the fact that they, it still manages to have this letter, this level of, of, of passion is, uh, is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, this is season 21. It's insane. Started out in 2002, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and what what fascinates me is that the people who are really into it are some of like the smartest people I know. You know, and I'm not just saying that to butter up Anya. Like these oh, are, thank you. You know, this is one where the 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 quality and the caliber of tweets that come out of that show is fantastic. And again, it's like one of those like the Young Pope, where I'd rather just read about it than ever actually <laughs> sit down and watch I've it. Been, I've been watching it this season also. My uh, Melinda, my wife, uh, likes to watch it on Monday nights, and it's kind of funny because uh, I've been trying to get through this. Uh, this giant biography of the Beatles. It says this is a TV connection. Also, my kids are really into that show uh, on Netflix called Beat Bugs. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but it's a it's a t- uh, the second season just came out, and it's it's a kids show, animated show with these insects uh, all singing Beatles songs, and <laughs> so uh, it's actually really really well done. And it's gotten my kids like obsessed with the Beatles. Like they literally know every song on all twelve or whatever it is Beatles studio albums now. And so they, and then they've gotten like really into the backstory of the Beatles. So I took, I checked out this uh, the Bob Spitz biography. It's like it's literally like a thousand page biography of the Beatles. So I'm trying to get through this, but I, it, it's so difficult on Monday nights because I'm sitting there trying to read, and and uh, the Bachelor comes on, and it's really something you have a hard time not watching. You know, it's just so over the top and amusing. And, and is it Corinne, the uh, sort of the villainous this yes. season? Um, yes. She's sort of a classic one of these characters on that show that I think doesn't come around too often. Um, so she seems to be kind of driving a lot of the schadenfreude of people watching the show too. Oh, I think so many people hate watch it also. And yeah. like you said, very smart people watch it as like almost like an anthropological study of what happens when all these women are in the same house going after the same man. The, um, the, speaking of Schadenfreude, uh, you know, I feel like TV is always on this kind of like traditional TV network TV is always on a bit of a death watch of people saying like, oh, any minute, any minute the bottom's going to fall out. This was, uh, I'm sorry, 2016 was a generally a successful year for ratings, for ad sales. Uh, Jason, you wrote a piece kind of summarizing that uh, broadcast revenue was up four and a half percent or so. Cable was up about four percent. But there's some huge caveats to that, right? Uh, yes. So, um, yes, they, they, they had those increases. But when you take all the sports related revenue out of the mix and remember, we had the, the Summer Olympics, um, TV was only up one point four percent. And also a, a, a big factor in that surge last year was the election. And all three uh, cable news networks saw huge increases over 2015 in ad revenue. CNN, 57.8 uh, MSNBC, 47. Fox News only 25.7, but overall um, that network brings in far more revenue than the other two. So um, when you take those out, um, you know it's maybe more flat than up, um, but still overall it was uh, it was a pretty solid year for TV as far as ad revenue goes. Well, we have covered a whole lot, but nowhere near uh, have we covered everything that Jason wrote about over the last two weeks. So definitely, if you just look up Adweek and TCA, uh, you'll find a page with all of his stories from the TCA, from the Television Credits Association uh, Winter Press Tour. Uh, So thank you so much, Jason. That was a great recap. And again, I feel we barely scratched the surface, but uh, a lot for TV lovers and for those of us who uh, just kind of watch it, as Anya said, anthropologically. uh, It's it's been a fascinating uh, week or two of news. 
Uh, wanted to uh, remind everybody, you can drop a note to us at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. We love getting your emails. If you have any questions for our panels, or especially if you have any questions about the upcoming Super Bowl, or you want to know historically about the Super Bowl, uh, Tim and I have both been covering this, Tim, even longer than I have. Uh, so if there's anything you want to know about the history of Super Bowl ads, uh, drop us a line. Uh, we've got a lot coming up soon. Adweek.com is getting a new look. I can't really tell you much more than that, but uh, very excited. This obviously has been something we've been hard at work on for a while, so that's going to be rolling out uh, soon, uh, coming Monday. So look for that. Uh, also coming Monday will be our Super Bowl issue, our annual roundup of spots to look forward to. And we've got a deep dive into one major brand's Super Bowl ad, which we were there on set for the filming of. And it's a fascinating read. Uh, and we're going to have so much content. Holy cow. Uh, coming up next week, uh, we've got live streams on Facebook.com slash Adweek uh, all week. Uh, we've got uh, just Articles every day. Super Bowl ad tracker is going to be up to date. We're basically going into super uh, intense mega mode. So uh, it's going to be a fun week. Uh, but definitely check out Ad Week. Check out our social channels to stay on top of all that. Uh, our theme music is by Home. Uh, today's episode was produced by Christina Monlos and edited by Kevin Eck. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, and please take a moment, if you have not already, to leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We certainly appreciate those, and it helps our podcast be discovered by new audiences. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you to the panel. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Anya. Thank you, Tim. And we will talk to everyone next week. So long. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.